Hey, y'all, it's Orlando. We just want to let you know that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast episode are those of the co-hosts and guests and not their sponsoring institutions. Now, let's start the show. Hello, Detroit and the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the WDET studios, Detroit's NPR station. We are a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey. And I'm Donna Givens-Davidson. Thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. Today, we have a very special episode planned with the primary election for the 13th Congressional District next Tuesday, August 2nd. We decided to interview one guest who participated in the second half of our candidate open forum. Representing the Democratic Party, we will have activist and radio host Sam Riddle on the show just a little bit later. But first, Donna, how is this blessed day finding you? Well, it's Monday. <laughs> so, um, listen, I saw Anita Baker on Saturday. Come on, so, tell me about yes, Anita. We love, okay? Listen, she came out. Anita. It was so great. She was um, she was just glamorous. She looked good. She looked good. Mm-hmm. She was. Um, she sounded even better. It was great being in, you know, the the um, stadium with so many people there to celebrate her. And the thing that surprised me strong was, auntie vibes, strong auntie vibes, because <laughs> they were like young people, like really, really we young, looking like high school students. I was like, what is happening here? We got kids, and they knew all the words, all the songs. I didn't even know all the words, all the songs. <laughs> so that was cool, you know. Um, but then there was this one part that got a little awkward. She said, "Look at look at people up there." There's people up there. And I thought she was talking about, I'm still not sure she was talking about people walking around the ceiling. Or the jerseys. But however, Kevin and I had nosebleed seats. And uh-huh. I read in the paper she was talking about us. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's okay. She didn't need a bigger acknowledge okay. you. No, I, look I, at Donna and Kevin look, up look there. At, look at, look at this people up there. Oh, you sweet things. What are you doing all the way up there? And I really thought she was talking about people who are, because you know how, SCA has the, the, the area on LCA? top. LCA? LCA, yeah, L- LCA. Let me get my alphabet oh, soup right. LCA gracious. has that, that part that you can climb on top. But it was really great. The little catwalk thing. The catwalk, yeah. right. And so I think they, she was talking about people on the catwalk. Or she was talking about you and Kevin. Well, I thought it was people on the catwalks. So we were looking at the catwalk trying to find the people. And I read in the paper she was talking about us. And I took that very personally. But anyway, it was great. Um, Anita, It was Anita Baker Friday in the city of Detroit. It was like a holiday. It was so so the vibe and it and the anticipation and excitement was palpable in Detroit air on Friday. It was so dope. Yeah, it was. And then, you know, she acknowledged a person I went to college with, Vernon Fails. Oh, wow. And um, he, you know, he lived in our dorm in Bursley Hall and we used to have the Bursley show. And my dorm was right next to the music school. So oh, okay. we, we had the most amazing shows, musical shows. And when she acknowledged him as her somebody who played for her and her collaborator on compositions, I was just really blown away. Wow. And so you live next to the music school? Yeah. You wanna match tones with me? Um, <clears throat> me, 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 me. You ready yeah. to do it? Um I'm I'm ready to do that as soon as the, the, the mics are off and <laughs> That is because it's a public service, okay? Yeah. Nobody really wants to hear me sing. Oh, gosh. How was your weekend, Orlando? My weekend was good. I had the opportunity to support a really good friend of mine, uh, Idrit Gude, Chef Idrit Gude. Let me get that right. Uh, she has been in residency at Frame Bar in Hazel Park all month, and she will be there, I think, until... Uh, the end of the first week of August and the theme around her her dinner is uh, New Orleans uh, Creole Um, and man I went there on Friday in lieu of the Anita Baker concert because I got invited and I had already made reservations to support my friend so I just I love my friends. Anyway. So I did Anita Baker and Frame. Oh, look, see? We were there on Saturday. It was so that good. That was so Those, good. That dirty rice fritter. Oh, my. And the fried green tomatoes were so Every, fresh. And then how about the grits? 
I didn't have the grits. You didn't have. We had everything on the menu. Oh. I'm serious. We ordered everything on the menu because you know it's four of us. We were just splitting it up. Yeah, everything on the menu. That food was amazing. It was amazing. You know, she it was is such amazing. a great chef. And did she come out? She came out. She and did not. Us. She did not come out and greet me. I, I could have asked for her. But, oh yeah. You know, yeah. It was. It was amazing. Though. Yeah. She knew so, I was coming. I made so sure she knew I'll, I'll I was coming sure because I was missing. I let her know I was there. Uh-huh. Um, I, I let her know I saw Anita Baker and I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did that and um, I uh, got to hang out with my parents over the weekend and uh, my aunt, you know, some 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 family time, uh, you know, date night on Saturday was really fun. Mm-hmm. So we walked we walked Birmingham. I got out of the city, which I really do. I never really want to do anything out of the city. But, you know, went for a stroll and had dinner in Birmingham Saturday night and it was not all bad. It was nice. It was beautiful. So it was a good weekend. Yeah. I'm happy. Yep. And energized for these hot takes where we run down (laughs) some of the week's top headlines in the city of Detroit. From Bridge Detroit and Jenna Brooker, Great Lakes Water Authority denies all claims from historic summer floods. Donna, what say you? (laughs) I say that it's ridiculous. I think that, um, and I don't think they're going to get away with it. There's already several lawsuits in process, and I cannot imagine anybody who has filed a lawsuit against um, Gliwa is going to be satisfied with the decision to accept no responsibility for inoperable pumping stations. The thing they're saying, oh, yeah, the pumping stations weren't working, but that's no big deal. Pumping stations are apparently no big deal, and they actually con- conducted a study to prove that we don't need pumping stations. So... I'm wondering why we're investing in them. If pumping stations can't stop flooding and the exact same thing would have happened if the pumping stations were working. Then we'll be paying them let's Let's spend money on something else because it's a ridiculous proposition. And I remember reading in the paper just after the flooding happened um, where Gary Brown said, hey, look, the pumping stations were offline, but it's proving that the improvements that we put in there worked. Because as soon as we got them back online, the water receded quickly. Mm-hmm. So either the pumping stations cause the water to recede or they don't. And in that story, um, the story today, uh, there was mention of the fact that there was so much damage in um, some areas. And you could see what was happening caused the pressure backup caused by the pumping stations being inoperable. And I think that um, when you have your own audit and you're looking at yourself and you're evaluating, did I do something wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, you may or may not find yourself to be at fault. Okay, that's when I. Uh, that's you know I I always say that when the police investigate themselves, it's like wait what what's going on? You yes. know I want to remind everybody that the Great Lakes Water Authority was formed during the city's bankruptcy and now operates water and wastewater systems for eight southeast Michigan communities, including the city of Detroit. One of the things that is striking to me, you know, even when this came out when this press release came out i remember a detroit where somebody would be cussing somebody out like ain't nobody cussing about this and i'm just i I think that like what is going on there are people cussing about this there's just some folks in power i'm talking about people we elected in power you're talking about coleman (laughs) young you're talking about people saying yes i mean i think you're right i think joanne watson would be cussing I think Irma Henderson would be Somebody giving some strongly cousin. worded stating, statements, even if she didn't curse. I don't know if that's, that was her style. I'm not saying that John Watson cursed either, but I'm saying the they reverend. would be angry. Yes. They would be speaking with angry and vociferous voices. And it would be nice to have somebody who represents our elected interest standing up and saying this is unacceptable. Yeah. The Great Lakes Water Authority received approximately 24,000 claims tied to the flooding last summer. Residents who filed those claims were expected to be notified by mail what but they were notified via um press release if they didn't get the mail uh that they're not going to pay out any of those claims think about that number that's twenty four thousand households i think i read also that the city of detroit dwsd received twenty five thousand complaints or something in that neighborhood and so i think um, the city of Detroit is silent because if the Gleetwa claims go through, I think the the concern is their shared accountability. And so um, I'm not certain if there's not a, a desire for shared denial, but I think this is going to end up in court. And I think we're going to have to see whether the courts agree that the water authorities have no responsibility for having operational equipment, especially when it was not operational days before the heavy rainstorms happened. Nobody told anybody. I mean, this is why Sue McCormick is no longer in the news and mm-hmm. working for that organization. Um, mm-hmm. Her head rolled. And 
if this had just happened to Detroit, like so many other things that are bad, that would be one thing. But um, the Gross Point communities were equally impacted, and these are not people who are going to accept got, no for an answer. Rich white folks, man. They already this. have. They've, they've already paid for their basins to be fixed up, and they want a reimbursement. So I, I think it's this is not the end of it. I think this is also just positioning, and perhaps mm. it's positioning because they understand the risk of admitting any kind of culpability in the midst of a lawsuit. Um, I recall that there were meetings where there were uh, people encouraging Detroiters to join in the class action suit. I don't know where it is, where it stands right now, but I hope that Detroit residents are also represented in the suit and that we can use the courts to hold our public authorities accountable because democracy does not work under these authorities. I mean, under, you know, in the words of Smokey from the uh, institutionalized movie that we love Friday, give me my money. Like run, <laughs> run, run the coin. And you, you, the other thing, though, that is especially striking about this is this authority, along with so many other authorities that we are now contending with here in the city of Detroit, was formed during a bankruptcy where folks had no democratic power. We did not ask for this. We did not ask for this authority. We did not have any say around um, the leasing out of our water system. Citizens didn't ask for this. And so this is this is especially striking and angry. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is authority. But the reality is that authorities govern so much of the land and resources in our community. And when you start looking at the stripping of democracy, what you do is you vest power in these authorities, which are run by unelected people and boards that are not that are appointed by elected officials and the lines of accountability are clear you not only have the great lakes water authority you have the um Oklahoma interceptor authority you have the dwsd is actually functioning as an authority and the question is where does democracy come in people say whenever there's a problem vote well you can vote and not have any impact on who sits on these authorities and they control so much. So I think and that's I get so tired of people question. saying vote because we vote. I mean. Exactly. It's like I've been voting my entire life. And um, the reality is, you know, we, we voted when democracy was strict from the city of Detroit. And then we couldn't vote for our right. local elected officials. Now. So I think that there's a time for us to use courts and for us to use collective action to make demands on systems for changes that are not going to happen at the ballot box. Um, but I agree with you. There should be an outcry from the city, but I think that there's a concern that they're also on the hook. Mm. All right. Uh, and next in hot takes uh, from Deadline Detroit, Alan Lingle is reporting on a poll that says Sri Tanadar leads in Michigan's 13th congressional district, followed by Warburson and Holier. Donna, what say you? Um I don't want to curse. We talked about cursing. But, um, you know, when people talked about splitting the black vote in the 13th congressional district, I was a cynic and I didn't believe it was going to happen. But what you see is the absolute splitting of the black vote and one candidate who's been able to capitalize on that. And the reason I say the splitting of the black vote is that you and I have also seen statistics that show that 29 percent of black voters are supporting Shree. He doesn't even get the highest number that of voters supporting to me. white voters aren't supporting him in those numbers. It's the black voters who are supporting Sri Thanadar. He has been somehow able to vi- position himself to be the tr- trusted candidate among about one third of those people who are likely to vote. The rest of the vote is split. There's a 16 percent undecided community. And I hope that the undecided community is not going to go for Sri because if you add 16 percent, say, to Portia Roberson, based on those poll results, she would be at 33. If you added it to Adam Olia, he would be at 32. But it's still a squeaker. And it just reminds us that, you know, why are you in this race when you have no possibility of running? There are some people who are just um, in the race because they want to, um, I don't know, position themselves for something. Or or influence a conversation. Or influence a conversation. Mm -hmm. But when your vote tends to detract from, you know, other candidates who have a viable vote, pathway to leadership um the issue with Sheree is not that he's not black it's that he's not a detroiter he's not from our community he doesn't really know or understand our community from what i can see what he's done is bought himself into a position of influence and there may be some areas where he's very very sympathetic to the issues that we face but not having but i don't know he won't talk to us well (laughs) (laughs) you know what i'm saying it's like you know one of the here here and this is what I this is what angers me just a little bit. And I, I do think that 
uh, the press has a major role when we talk about the function of democracy, right? The press mm-hmm. and the media has a major role. If you are running for elective office, sit down for an interview. Come come talk to me and Donna, Shree. Come talk to me and Donna, Janice Winfrey. Come talk to Donna and myself, Martel Bivings. Come and talk. Come and be questioned. Come and be interrogated about your policies and, and where you come from and what you want to do and what your vision is about representing swaths of of Michigan whole communities and I don't know where he stands he never talks well you know I think that he talks to um, people I think the question is who is he talking to yeah Um, I think that he's not talking to the community that supports him at 29 percent or maybe he is talking to them but maybe it's that he's not listening to them and he's not allowing people from our community to you know give feedback and help shape what he believes in um he did reach out to me about a year ago and um, on Facebook and say that, you know, he wants to connect with me or something like that. But um, that never went anywhere because I was not interested in, <laughs> you know, that's, I don't see that as my role. So um, what, 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 do you, what do you think? I mean, with these numbers, if we if we were go if we were to go to the polls tomorrow with these numbers and if these numbers are accurate. Right. right. Um, it's it, Congressman Sri Tanadar. I mean, is, is, is that a real, do we foresee that as a real possibility? And what are we doing to ensure that he, if he, if he goes to D.C., that he is representing us in the way that we need him to represent us? What's the plan? I don't think we have one because I think that, again, I don't know anybody who has any connections to him in the community at all. Now, I know that there are people who have campaigned for him, and I know he's paying street outreach people. But he who, paying for who, the mailers, who works for the him? commercials? Who is he listening to? Um, when a person represents you in Congress, they have a responsibility to represent you, and I think that whoever goes to D.C., um, we're going to hold them accountable. I think whoever goes to D.C., we're going to make demands on them, and not, not just at ECN, not just me as a taxpayer, but also authentically Detroit is going to look for some accountability and examining the record of whoever is there. You know, um, we just, there's no blank check support. And so um, it's going to be important. I mean, you know, is he going to be active with the congressional black caucus? Is he going to be active with, so can we, can we talk about, (laughs) I I got this question too. This is right. Rashida Tlaib is not a part of the congressional black caucus, right? Because she is not black. Right. Uh, Shri Tanadar in the Michigan legislature is a part of the state's black caucus. Mm-hmm. He, he Sri Tanadar is not black. And so what are, how are we, how are we even thinking about, you know, some of those things? Rashida is like, no, the congressional black caucus, I'm a Detroiter. I'm not black. Well, cool. You know, I think right, that, but, that caucusing with people does not necessarily mean that you are of the same background of them. I think the willingness to caucus with people means that you're willing to, make shared decisions, engage in shared joint action, and listen to each other. So I don't agree with this concept that you can't belong to the Congressional Black Caucus if you're not black. If you're representing a majority black community, then partnering with people and at least being in the same room with them is important. However, you know that... There are folks who would disagree with that. Well, there are people who would disagree, but I think that sometimes you at least want to be in the room and know how your black colleagues are thinking what's going Mm -hmm. on with them Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that you have to vote with them every single time but Mm -hmm. that distance can be you know difficult now the thing about um, Rashida Sharita grew up in Detroit she's an activist in Detroit she knows a lot of black people she (laughs) doesn't have a learning curve (laughs) and the other thing about Rashida is that Rashida is a member of the squad and the squad is they were here this weekend I know they were here this weekend and so she has some ties to people who are acting on behalf of of the black community. I don't see Shree independently being able to do that. I don't know if there's a Shree squad anywhere out there in the DC area that's going to work with him. So I think that him having that institutional connection to the Congressional Black Caucus is important in a way that it wasn't important for Rashida. So Mm -hmm. I'm gonna um, be hopeful that we have representation in the city of Detroit that is reflective of the population, Mm -hmm. whatever that means, that understands the needs of that population. And be honest with you, we had a forum a couple weeks ago and there's a whole lot of folks running. Well, but there are people who did show up who I'm not certain have an understanding of the needs and the, the priorities of this population. Um, I think that um, if he had shown up, we'd understand where he stands in the, the context of this. 
Um, we probably need to do a better job. You know, I didn't even know I had to take him seriously. And this is my political naivete, or maybe it's just wishful thinking, that I didn't think that we were going to have to take seriously a candidate who has such little connection to the Detroit community. Mm. But if he's elected, you know, I, we can't tell people how to vote. People have decided they like him. And if they decide they like him, then I think that we have no choice but to honor whoever's in that office and try to get them to act on the things that we prioritize. All right. If you have stories that you want discussed on Authentic now, Detroit. I, I, I will say this. I will say this. And this Go is ahead. interesting. There mm-hmm. was an article in the Free Press on Saturday um, written by a former um, council candidate who did not make it into office um, and who is now considering himself the watchdog of black elected officials. And this article was pointing out the um, some of the lobbying ties that um, Adam Olier has mm-hmm. to um, mining interest in a part of Michigan that very few of us know anything about. I didn't even know this place existed in Michigan. Um, and Shree was very critical of that and very vocal about the need to protect the environment. So, You know, one of the things is, in some ways, I don't know where he stands on these issues, but I was glad to see that he was very critical of mining and environmental damage to our community. Um, Now, what what, what does that mean in the scheme of things? I don't know. But I do want to give him credit for at least being on the right side of the mining issue. And and hitting the streets. He he in the streets. He got he he's paying canvassers. He is. able to send out mail and he's, he's on the radio quite a few on, detroiters so he put five million dollars somebody's getting paid Some, a lot of folks are getting paid and, well and you know it's a bad economy so i'm happy for them yeah all right <laughs> if you have stories that you want discussed on the podcast you can hit us up on our socials at authentically detroit on facebook instagram and twitter or you can email us at authentically detroit at gmail.com hey we'll be right back with sam riddle all right, welcome back to Authentically Detroit. We are happy to introduce Sam Riddle, representing, uh, he's a Democrat, running for the 13th Congressional Congress seat. Sam, welcome to Authentically Detroit. Thank you. We can't believe it's your first time here. Well, technically, it's your second time. Well, like, I used to come here years ago, but that's I've forgotten about all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's good to see you. Well, good, nice being here. And thank you for coming to uh, the Congressional Forum a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, no, that was great. You guys did such a great job there. Yeah. Uh, you know, but getting people interested enough to vote. You know, in TV commercials I have running right now, I say, I'm ready to fight. Are mm-hmm. you ready to vote? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Fighting. If, no, and, no. Are you ready to vote? Yeah. I'm ready to fight. Are you ready to vote? I mean, I think we're talking to hear ourselves speak sometimes, uh, in particular in America's blackest and arguably poor city, Detroit. Why do, why do you think folks don't come out and vote the way that we, we want to see them vote? Well, very simple. Uh, elected officials have not delivered. Mm-hmm. Uh, very simply, uh, I believe the electorate is just tired of empty words and nothing being done that demonstrably changes their lives, Mm. their station in life. Mm. And so tell us about why you decided to run. Well, it's real simple for me. You know, I worked with Congressman John Conyers, okay? It's not a theory with me. I worked with him, met directly, myself, Congressman Conyers, with uh, then Attorney General Janet Reno to do the logistics for the Million Man March when she threw out uh, Minister Leonard Farrakhan Mohammed, married to Minister Farrakhan's daughter, in terms of planning for that march that she cynically didn't think would come off, wouldn't be as large as it was. I worked with uh, Congressman Conyers a number of years, even mm-hmm. when he ran against uh, Coleman Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, the field right now is more reflective of the ideological bent of Mayor Mike Duggan, white overseer of the plantation Detroit, than the ideology of the uh, uh, forever, for me anyway, honored uh, John Conyers congressman, the real John Conyers, not someone with a million dollar name and three dollars worth of community service. Mm. So um, <laughs> now before we move on, you talked about not voting. And one of the issues is politicians oh, not delivering. The other issue, I think, is the perception of political corruption. Right. And the, the, the perception that politicians are bought off. I remember long ago I read a quote from you that I still laugh about from time to time. Goats. 
Yes, go. I knew you were going to say go. Yes, you know that was. I knew you were going to say that. Okay, remind us of that quote. (laughs) (laughs) No, what I said was the only difference between Detroit and third world nations in terms of political corruption are the goats in the street. Yeah, that was so great. And then we got goats clearing up some of the vacant property and and lands later on. So now now we're there. (laughs) And I think, you know, I think the question is trust in in elected officials as well as it is trust in the um, platforms of, of elected officials. Why are you the person who people can trust in that role? Real simple. We have a record of delivering. Uh, we have a record of being on the streets. You know, it's me that J. Edgar Hoover built a file on. The Michigan State Police Red Squad built a file on. Uh, I was just talking to a Oof. reporter, a writer out of East Lansing when I was in undergrad at Michigan State. They wrote an article on me, an innocent article. And of all places, the Michigan State News and it ended up in the files of the FBI, the state police, the Secret Service, U.S. You Marshals. Were dangerous. What was you talking about? They had a, they had a, I'll be Every black you, vocal person. We they, had a, they had a file on my grandmother, too. Yeah. And there was well, a I'm period of time. Well, I'm grandfather, probably. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. My grandmother was born in 1912. But they had a file on her. And um, she was you know, very active in a lot of political service with the Good Women's Conference her. of Concerns. And she um, was arrested many times. And when she was living with us, we used to get mail pre-opened and things like this. We're talking about the 1980s. So um, having a file can be a problem. Um, But, you know, the question is, once again, um, around, you know, what what is it that you stand for? So one of the questions I also have is that there are people who believe that the 13th district needs to be represented by a black Detroiter. And right now, based on the polls, it looks like Sri Thanadar is leading in the polls and the black vote is split you know i've been doing campaigns for half a century uh we've uh ruined more than one poll with some of my candidates just this past uh election city council we were told that uh a woman that once picked cotton in alabama later went on to become gretchen whitmer's floor leader black woman mary waters uh was gretchen whitmer's floor leader first black woman ever serving the capacity is fluid in the history of the Michigan legislature. Couldn't win oh, for city council. I did her campaign. I have a history of winning. I don't have a history of being a damn candidate that's completely different. It's more fun running a campaign <laughs> exactly. than shaping themes and messaging and, uh-huh. and writing, producing commercials uh-huh. than it ever will be being a candidate. Being the but, power behind the throne is always more important and it's more exciting well, than the throne. Yeah, but in a nutshell... You know, when I look at, for example, my platform, uh, I don't hear anyone talking about uh, basic uh, income supplements for mm-hmm. people that live at or below the poverty line. I'm not talking about a sample of 100, 200 people. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about everyone in Detroit that lives at or below the poverty line. Detroit ought to be ground zero for implementation of a real Marshall Plan where we can measure outcomes. Uh, I've been doing what we did similar to uh now, City Councilwoman at large, Mary Waters, we have been hammering in, focusing in on those most likely to vote in a low turnout election. Who are those? Probably some folks that could be your grandmother, seniors. We've been going to senior residency after senior residency, talking, but more importantly, listening. As a result of that, one of the uh, uh, tenets of my campaign is will be to fight for an increase in Social Security payments because everything's going up but Social Security. Gas is up. Groceries up. Everything up but the wages. And we're not just talking about this buzzword inflation. It's not inflation. It's greed when we look at the oil companies. We might have to, and I will be proposing, nationalizing the oil companies. So we're talking, okay, so hear you, right? Donna, Donna question, Donna's question was about uh, one of the latest polls in black representation. And so you are contending that the, poll, the that the poll can be wrong. Well, the poll is wrong so you, because okay. 16%, the latest poll, let's say it's right. Let's say that Ed Sarpolis might know something today. Might. <laughs> dealing with that guy, yeah. Uh, and, 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 and if he does, he can't even call this election because at least 16% of the people Don't know. are undecided. Yeah. Cherie, at what, 22%? 29 
Oh, 22%. 22%. Yeah, I'm sorry. And uh, it's okay. I'm it's here for you. I'm here for you. It's voters, okay. Though. Yeah, I don't care about that. I'm talking about the total number <laughs> yes, of voters. Okay, you're yeah. right. You're uh, right. You know, uh, you, you've got a situation. Cherie carried Detroit against Gretchen Whitman, but he didn't have the uh, quality or the volume of black candidates that he has running right now. Is Detroit for sale? I'm not on the auction block. I, I like to believe that Detroiters are not on the uh, auction block. And I, I believe we're going to see the perfect political storm shape up here. I believe we could get a big surprise in this election if the divide occurs like I see it. For example, Cherie and Adam Holier, the uh, <laughs> beneficiary of the Zionist lobby for Israel, the American-Israeli Political Action mm -hmm. Committee, uh, they're pouring millions into his campaign. Not singularly, plural. Millions into Holy A's campaign. Why? Because this guy has, dem and another reason I'm running, this guy has demonstrated that he's a, a, a tool for anyone with the price. Before he became an elected official, he was peddling trees. Vice president of the Hans uh, uh, Corporation over there, peddling trees so that Hans could get a land position to develop whatever. You start out with trees, but who knows what you'll end up with. Well, well thank you for bringing up money because I want to ask you about yours. Uh, where, what, do, what do your camp campaign finance statements look like? Who's giving you money? How much no, money have you me. <laughs> so Do you, you know and people Shree are self-financing. Self well, there's a little bit of a difference. <laughs> there's a little difference here with Sam Riddle's self-financing <laughs> and Sheree. First of all, let's understand something about Sheree Tanner. He's the beneficiary of blood money derived from animal abuse in some of those experiments. And when he went bankrupt, leaving at least 114 to 20 beagles, uh, literally out to dry, they had to be rescued by animal rights folks. I mean, this is a guy who has done racist caricatures of black women peddling sex aids sold in gas stations. So I'm so glad that you mentioned black women because there are people who think that a black woman needs to lead this um, congressional seat. What are your thoughts? I said about that about the city of Detroit. Vicki uh, Thomas interviewed me some years ago. Mm -hmm. First of all, uh, black women, mm -hmm. yeah, but not necessarily a Mike Duggan clone like Portia Roberson is. Uh, sorry. Uh, see, we identify friends and enemies by behavior and ideological bent and I mean, Mike Duggan has at least four candidates in this race. He's endorsed. How many people? He's endorsed I know Adam that. I, that's another one. I well, mean, of it, course, it, that's his main one. Explain to me I'm the no clone behavior. I'm no stranger to Mike Duggan. <laughs> but I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, it, me and Mike have known each other yeah, for many I'm years. Just, we graduated sure. from the same law I'm school, sure. University Go of Blue, Michigan right? Law School. But I think that the reality is that Portia worked for Mike Duggan. She also worked for Barack Obama. She also worked for, um, and she's now leading Focus Hope. So she is not. Uh, Mike Duggan creation. You can defend all you want. I know saying, where she is. I'm just saying. Okay. I'm just okay. trying to ask you a question. I'm asking ask a question. Me. What specifically in her policies and practices do you say is part of Mike Duggan's? Part know? of the uh, whole piece is that she's part of, 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 of that corporate machine of Duggan's. These guys would rather give corporate welfare to the eliches than address to the so issue of 60% of the Detroit children that wake up in abject poverty every damn day. Are you saying that's who's supporting her campaign? No, no, I don't know who the hell's supporting her campaign. Emily's List. Cool. Get all the white women you can get. I think that's great. You know, that's who Emily's List is. Hell, it ain't majority black Detroit, I can tell you that. But there is a coalition of black women who supported her. Bourgeois. We have a mm. severe class divide in Detroit. Say more in about black that. America. Say more about that. What do you mean by that? But by a severe class divide, I mean we have those who benefit mm -hmm. from colonialist plantation politics in Detroit that are black but are not of majority black Detroit. The Detroit when 11-month-old black baby girl, Kamaya Davis, could step into a hole in the floor and drown in a backed-up feces-laden basement, flooding. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the beauty of having a Mary Waters on this city council is she, working with Mike Duggan, got $203 million to serve as a safety net for real affordable houses so based make Mary on the real Duggan income. I no, uh-uh. It means who's controlling the damn dollars in Detroit. So, so how do you think that happened? Because that's a really good question. I've seen this 
um, this city council really do a good job leveraging its role. Leveraging its role for what? For who? Well, the two hundred and three million dollars of winning. Well, no, that's a, that's, a, that's a good deal. And that was that's, that was that was Councilwoman Waters. But even the supported she, by Caldwell, uh, 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 Cal- Callaway, and, 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 and Letitia. Letitia. But that can only happen when you have majority of people willing to back you up. You have to be able to win that vote. You know, there's no. I get that five so votes. Saying, you got to be able to count exactly. to five. And so what I'm saying is, it shows a, a redirection in some of our local policy now that we have this new city council. I was hopeful for it. You know, I was hopeful that a new city council would begin. Have to you ever watched them. Elite or uh, Dan Gilbert lobby? Do you know what that's like when they lobby that council? More often than not, I believe this is still a Detroit city council that would rather grant corporate welfare to the Elitches and the Dan Gilberts than address the real issues what is the of real the 60 issue? Pr- poverty, you know, but systemic racism, a water but, shut but off. But you know, the real issue... No, me, what is the real issue? The real issue for me is the existence of the Downtown Development Authority, which sucks up all the new property absolutely, tax money absolutely. and goes in there. And we get upset about Dan Gilbert. I agree with you. And we leave the, the, the Downtown Development Authority untouched. And so for but me, they're, they're, we need to have... They're all part of the same team. But, it's, but the thing is that we need to have a fight that says, let's dismantle, restructure, reduce the power of the Downtown <laughs> Development You think you got five votes for that on this Detroit City I'm trying, Council? I'm Hell trying. no. Hell no. <laughs> but you know what? I think <laughs> that, Well, maybe not, but nobody's talking about it. And I think until we start talking, we talk about everything. We Get elected and you can stuff. talk about I, it. Run listen, for something. I'm not running for anything. So I don't blame so you. I want to ask I, you I, I, I don't blame you. <laughs> but I did share those perspectives with Mary and with Letitia and said, here's Sarah, what I Share them with Mary Sheffield. I share them with James Tate. I do. Share them with uh, Fred. Fred Doherl. Yeah, Fred Doherl. Absolutely, we'll share them with all of them because the structures are there. So anyway, going back to your campaign. I want to ask you this question <laughs> about your campaign for you. What do you oh, see? The money thing. We didn't get into it. We, we touched on oh, it. Oh, well, well, you say you were money. Say, okay, I go got criticized yeah. by uh, some woman. I don't know if she writes for Deadline Detroit or what. She said that this piece of campaign literature, a mm-hmm. mailer, was not mailed to her, but heaven forbid, tucked in her door handle. Mm-hmm. Which means that Sam Riddle can't afford to do a mailing. Think about that. I could didn't even have to file because I hadn't spent five thousand dollars. I hadn't raised five thousand dollars by the previous you just went uh, to all deadline. And, got those and uh, no, these didn't cost that much. That's what I'm these, saying. These didn't cost five thousand dollars. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh no, and, uh, and, we and, print those and, all and the see, time. And, and the point I'm making is that. She wasted time on me and never went in on where Adam Holier was getting his money, how Cherie was spending blood money uh, from animal abuse, none of that. Sam can't afford the mail. For a deadline Detroit, there is a British Detroit that's <laughs> reporting on all the campaign finances for of, of these yeah. different but candidates. They were acting like I had violated something when I didn't have to file. Right. That's my point. I get and it. not spending money on those that would buy an election. That's why I call for federal financing of these congressional races. No one should be allowed to simply walk in and buy oh, a I congressional happen, I happen seat. to agree with you on that. on that. I want to ask you for from your vantage point and perspective, what are the top needs you see in the 13th congressional district? And if you are elected, how do you plan to address those? Well, needs? first of all, you have to understand how the Congress works and it is a seniority based system. That was the beauty of John Conyers. So you got to be there a long time. Le- well, you got to be there and know how to work it. You can't just give away your vote. Okay. You, your vote, you have to value your vote and, and your constituency. Otherwise, uh, you're going to become victims of the lobbyists in Washington, D.C., who really run the U.S. Congress, the House and the Senate. The lobbyists control Congress, not the democratic process. And and, and whether it's Republicans or Democrats, the lobbyists win all the time. Uh, But for me, the number one issue is the poverty. I'm a senior fellow with the Pulse Institute here in Detroit. And uh, no more appropriate place for this think tank, the Pulse Institute, to be located than here. I'm a veteran. I'm a Vietnam War era veteran. Detroit has been labeled year after year after year the worst city in America for veterans by Wallet Hub. You Google it. Check it out. Can I ask a question about that, the Pulse Institute? Yeah. So is that the institute that is sponsored by Banker Lee Thompson? Founded by Banker Lee Thompson, Thompson, and I set in on the initial discussions I, with I'm, that. I'm reading the news the other day, and I saw where he said, listen, Republicans need to move away from Donald Trump 
so they can hold Gretchen Whitmer accountable. And he said that um, the only way to have good governance is for to have good Republicans and good Democrats. Do you agree with that statement? Well, that first we of all, in 1972, parties? I was one of five delegates to refuse to walk out on the first national black political convention held in Gary, Indiana, when Coleman Young led the entire Michigan delegation out. Five of us refused to walk out. Ed Vine, myself, Newby, and a couple of others. I can't mm-hmm. recall their names right now. But the whole point there When Coleman yelled as he walked out, Sam, we can't live with this. They're talking about leaving the Democratic Party. We were cussing each other. I said, but Coleman, the Democratic Party, blankety blank, left us. And and I've been a delegate. I may be the only candidate in this race that's been a delegate to the National Democratic Convention. I don't think any one of these suckers ever done that. But anyway, the point I'm making is that we need leverage. And the only way you get leverage is, is you got to move out. The, I ain't nobody's going damn Republican. But the point <laughs> is, but the point is, is that what Bankley, I believe, is saying is that you can't have these white nationalists, white supremacists running the uh, 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 Republican Party where there's no room for compromise and coalition building across the it aisle. It feels to me like every time there's coalition building, the Democrats don't pull Republicans left, Republicans pulled Democrats right. And if well, that's yeah, that's case, what happened with Bill Clinton, who was more of a Republican than a Democrat. That's what, that's what happens with everybody. And yeah. so when and I, when I, when I we, look at the political theory that we need good Republicans, I'm like, well, I'm no. not pushing. That, that, that Banker, I, I know where Banker is coming from because of the lie Gretchen Whitmer told at King High School when she said she would create a, a, a cabinet level. Yeah, that's not. That's not. Agency. But the, the point is, is there a good that is a big point? They but, lie. The Democratic parties lie time and time again, and they pimp and play us. No, I don't. Disagree with that. My point is around Republicans. Well, no, you're hearing my conversation, so I'm certain that, that you can. Anyway, my point is this what evidence has there been of good Republican leadership in the past? 30 William years? Milliken. 30 years. Well, hell, I can't name one. Can exactly. You? Can you give me an example of good, other than Barack Obama? And even then, <laughs> that got a little shaky sometimes. A uh, 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 Democratic leadership. I think that, you know, I'm not going to defend Democratic leadership. Well, well there we what are. What I'm going to say is that I don't think that the solution is good Republicans. I think we may be talking about a third I'm not going to waste a, a nickel party. more of time on good All right. Republicans. All right. So tell me. I'm not going down that road. I'm with you. We can hold hands and tiptoe through the tulips. Okay. 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 <laughs> Top issues in the 13th district. That okay, you poverty uh-huh. is the number one issue. Number one issue. It was poverty, a pre-existing uh, condition of poverty, pre-existing condition of inadequate housing, medical care, and the systemic racism of water shutoffs that made Detroit mm-hmm. a killing field for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Those pre-existing conditions, we still don't know how many of our elders died. I remember when they were piling bodies in cyanide, dumping them mm-hmm. in chairs mm-hmm. on the floor. We don't know how many died as a result of the misleadership of Gretchen Whitmer when she placed all of those uh, uh, elders known to have been in, 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 in contracted COVID in the uh, most vulnerable places, nursing homes. Mm-hmm. How stupid and inhumane was that? It's a stain for sure. Where would you put them? I wouldn't put them there, hell. You could put them in a field with tents and they'd have survived better than they would have. Uh, I mean, the people in the nursing homes better than that. You could have made a, a damn tent city, constructed housing like we did in the military. The military could have well, rolled then, in. Didn't, didn't, we open con- up, didn't she open up the... Um, what is it, Huntington Place, whatever it was, TCF Center, to have a field hospital for people? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. theoretically, by then, how many were already dead well, or dying? Well, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm wondering whether you think she should have done more of that. Because well, well, she should have done a hospital. lot more than that. It was misleadership at the highest level. At mm-hmm. the same time, you know, to say, well, she was stressed. There was, you know, people were dying all over the place. Damn yeah. bet you, and they didn't count the so, deaths properly. So poverty as a pre-existing uh-huh. condition. What else? Uh, okay, poverty, uh, the systemic racism of the water shutoffs. Water is a human right. I, should I water think be we free? Need, I think, huh? Should water be free? Uh, a water should be free to, for those that can't afford it, mm-hmm. that don't have any income. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, and I think that the, and, and with me, race matters all the damn time. I don't talk about people of color. I talk about black people, people of Africa. I mean, if you're doing descent. work in Detroit and you're not doing it through a race-based lens, yeah. you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You're so, doing you know, I, 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 I there are a lot of people, yeah. if you listen to them running for this congressional seat, that are afraid to say the word black. Well, yeah, not not us here. And it's <laughs> we certainly, say it. we say <laughs> it. Well, no, I'm glad, I'm glad you do. So, so now you know that we say that here, and we absolutely agree that being black is a very specific racial identity and you cannot just conflate blackness with everything it also denotes a condition it does and then we went back go back to the class divide again the beneficiaries the firemen and fire women whose sole task is to keep the natives in in order in line so that we don't get clam out in 12th street again oops can't call it 12 better call it rosa parks whatever I mean, the congregation the, is there now, Sam. It's a congregation. You there. can hang out with yeah. the house music. You can yeah, listen to yeah, house music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. And, you know, I was in the military then. I went into the military in 1965 from Fort Wayne. A lot of people don't even know Fort Wayne was a real mm-hmm. military base. But the class divide is so severe here. And those that uh, benefit, benefit from being the color black without appreciating what it is to be of African descent here in America, uh, their sole role is to keep single black females, uh, those destined to go to prison from the date of birth, uh, uh, in check, in check. And they do an admirable job, and then they become black leaders. Mm. You know, for example, Garland Gilchrist, got elevated to lieutenant governor for losing to Janice Winfrey. You lose, you get rewarded. Why? Because they looked at him and they said, he looks smart, walks smart, sounds smart, and he's is, on our is team. smart. Garland on our is team. not a... <laughs> I don't think he's a dummy. I'm yeah. just saying. Yeah. So let me... Let me, let me, <laughs> let me, you let know, me ask I, you this we, question. We, I, I, <laughs> go the, ahead. The, the class divide is not new. You know, I, 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 that's a whole, that, I no, 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 but that, I know. that's a whole this show. Is, Thank you for is, naming I wanna, it. I just want to say it's not new. It's been around here in Detroit. I'm reading history books and I teach a class. And you look in the, you know, 19th century, the exact same class divide in Detroit existed that exists now. And the question what is. What does Malcolm talk about can, when he talks right, about exactly. the house in the field? Yes, exactly. And so the question is. What can we do about that class divide in the 21st century, knowing that it goes all the way back to before the it. plantation? What do you do you about name it first? By, you, you start, start by, by naming acknowledging it. That is, it exists because it's quiet. I understand. It's, it's very quiet. quiet. But even when we speak up against I'm just asking seriously from a congressional leadership a... standpoint, what is the approach to dealing with it? Because for me, again, I think dismantling structures of inequality helps, right? I think black capitalism is not the solution. I think that the idea that we can, you know, give reparations by, you know, surface resurfacing I-375 is an insult to our blasphemous to talk about that. It is. It is. But but so I I get that. And I think we're all on the same page. I've heard you talk about universal basic income is one of these strategies. we can That's just one of them. But what is about literacy? How about empowering the disempowered by teaching them to read? Right now, the children are running too many of the households in Detroit. The streets have adopted children by the barrel load in Detroit right now. And uh, uh, what, what I'm saying is, you know, you, you talk about the violence, the criminality, and the police say we want shot spotter, waste millions on shot spotter. Didn't work in Chicago, it violates the mm-hmm. Fourth Amendment. And we have I no mean, evidence that and, it works it, here. It doesn't work anywhere. anywhere. But the point I'm making is that when we talk about the class divide, we've got to move beyond that whole, let's have a conversation about it. I'm tired of damn conversation. Exactly. So what we, do we need do some about action. It? Just the other day, I had to remind, I'm the political director of Michigan National Action Network, mm-hmm. founded by the good Reverend Al Sharpton. I watched him go from a pudgy guy wearing stained sweatsuits Don't do it. to Don't a highly tailored suit wearing slim guy. <laughs> and, and we're buddies. We've known each other for 30, forever, for over 30 years now. First confrontation in New York and, and, and by the Apollo Theater. My client was Jerry Brown on the opposition bill Clinton. Matter of fact, I was a delegate to that Democratic convention mm-hmm. in Madison Square Garden. I got elected in and represented uh, uh, zip code 90210, Beverly Hills, mm-hmm. Beverly Hollywood, Hills. all that. Mm-hmm. But 
Uh, I mean, I've owned homes out that way. When I worked in the oil and gas industry, I'm no stranger to having a real job, earning a real income, and have no apologies for knowing what it is to be able to set management by objectives and, and make money. Uh, yeah, but I wish I was making it now, running for this, uh, <laughs> running for this uh, office. And I, 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 I'm hopscotching around though what you were just talking about, because it's 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 a good subject. The class divide. This campaign, in many ways, is a manifestation uh, uh, of the political, socioeconomic class divide in black America. Uh, and ideologically, the worldview of most Adam Olier's worldview is not that dramatically different than Portia Roberson's worldview, which is not that much uh uh, uh, different than Griffey's or Griffin, whatever, Griffey, whatever his, his name, name is. Michael Griffey. Yeah, Griffey. Good guy. Good guy. Decent guy. And uh, I, I can't remember all their names. It's but, a, <laughs> but uh, I mean, eight, nine people running. It's a lot of folks in the field. Yeah. I'm waiting for you to get to uh, the the carceral system. You talked about it in economic justice form. The, car, the the carceral system, criminal justice reform. Yeah. You, talk, you talked a little bit about it. You've been to prison. You talked you talk eloquently about the stigmatizing that our brothers and sisters go through when they are released from prison. How are you how are you thinking about that from a congressional perspective, recognizing based off what you said that, you know, the, the illiteracy rate, the, the school to prison pipeline, poverty, abject poverty, the criminalization of our young people. Um, how are you thinking about solving that from a congressional perspective when we look at, you know, the privatization of federal prisons and state prisons and even some local? We have to simply move away from that. And we have to lay the foundation to eradicate the breeding grounds that lead one to the prison door. When you look at the breeding grounds of, of violence and crime, there's a direct correlation. I'll tell you this. I can tell by how you guys talk. There's a direct correlation between that, the poverty, piss-poor schools, uh, the, 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 the lack of substantive parenting, I mean, and I'm not going to engage in blaming the victim, but I tell you, we got some responsibility. I mean, I just feel like I'm in ground on in Groundhog's Day. We've been saying it so long. Well, we've been saying, you know, because I grew up in Detroit. I was in Detroit in 1963, and since I've been here, Detroit has been a violent city. I don't, I don't I know. know what Detroit that has not been violent. And I think, you know, but I think with the challenge with mass incarceration which happened, you know, in all of our lifetimes. The challenge Joe of mass Biden incarceration, no absolutely, he did not. He he was the chairman of the I House know. Judiciary Committee, and he helped write the bill, and a whole lot of people supported it. The he also opened is, the gate to Clarence Thomas. Right, and the, ignoring exactly. Anita Hill. Yeah, we, we, we're, and a lot of black folks. We're, we're all on the same page <laughs> here. Yes, <laughs> here. Okay. Okay. We understand that here. But what I'm going to say is that you removed parents from the home. I worked in the child welfare system. Yeah. You have so many broken children who, you know, who's, who are taken out of our home at, at disproportionate rates for reasons that they should not be taken out of their home, raised by people who don't care about them. When I worked at the Federation of Girls they Homes get money many years ago, I worked at the Federation of Girls Homes many years ago. I was a young mother at that time. And the little girls, the young ladies used to come and talk to me because I was, you know, this cool adult at the time. And the, my boss said, they can't come over there. You can't bond with them because you're going to leave. And so the reality is I tell everybody to maintain distance from these girls so they don't end up losing anybody. And I talked to one girl who'd been in foster care since she was four years old. And it was not within the policy of the organizations that housed her to love her. How can you go without love from the time you were four years old to the time you were 14 and be healthy? But this is where our system is you structured. And that's the thing is that we need to do more to keep children in the homes with their parents and help parents love them where they are. But instead, we take them out and our children are taken out disproportionately. So I think that's one of the issues. No, you're absolutely and right. And then when you incarcerate a parent and you decide I'm going to incarcerate you because this is the law. Um, we worked with one kid. You remember him. He had yeah, two parents serving parents. life sentences. Well, you know, when you look at that, look at Kamaya Davis again, 11 month old black baby girl slept in the hole in the floor, mm -hmm. drowned in that feces water. Poverty was criminalized when Worthy went after her mother, and the mother gets incarcerated, I believe. Yeah, exactly. uh, she lives in another state now, but the grandmother mm. is still here mm -hmm. in Detroit. And the point I'm making is it's just like we're trained 
not to show love now to our children. And that's or, awful. Or it's part of the dehumanization in terms of how systemically we are taught to even self-hate because everything that we get teaches us that we are not human, we are not worthy, sure. and then that's reinforced often, sadly, by the parents or foster parents. Right, and, 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 and you know, the parents need therapy, right? If you're in this situation and you were raised in foster care and not loved, now you have kids, you need an intervention. And The intervention needs to, to be at the policy-making level. It, the ones that need therapy are some of the people that make policy. But, but once we harm people, <laughs> once we harm people, yeah. once you do harm, Who, you've got do to do therapy? something. I, you know, I don't know how it's going to happen. All I know is that we need to do, <laughs> you know what we do on our in, in our community? We bring people together for community dinners. And it's not even like you know, clinical, it is showing love and support and bringing the community Uh together, right? You have people who are hurting and just sometimes it's the showing of love. I'm not talking about a clinical intervention as much as a showing of love. You cannot have people people who are harmed by our system in that way, but we have a whole community of hurting people and our response to the hurting people. When I was younger in, in high school, I knew people who committed crimes, right? People did things. The criminal justice system was not as hard on kids then as it is now. There are people who would be serving lifetime in prison for some of the stuff they got away with as kids, whether it was selling drugs or Mm -hmm. pickpocketing or shoplifting and joyriding. I know young people. They get killed for joyriding today. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we also have to look at the intensification of criminalizing young people. We treat them as if we're throwing them away. There's an episode, and on I've, that I've with known young folks so many young people—not so many, but I've known young people. I was a, I was a youth group teacher, and I, this young man did some vandalism crime, and they had him in um, Children's Village in Oakland County for six months. And when he came out, he did not come out the young man who went in, and it happens over and over and over again. Yeah, because when they get locked up, uh, they learn. Uh, some things that you would never think anyone could learn, and and it isn't about being a productive citizen. There's, there's no rehabilitation. You know, when I first came out of law school, I had the dubious distinction in Genesee County uh, of, of trying all the cases under the new then mental health code. And one of the things that, that, that I noticed right away was when you talk about interventions and therapy and counseling and all that, the first thing they do is shoot everyone up with uh, drugs, right. they turn them into zombies, and and, and, and yeah, there's no hope for therapy abs- and whatnot. And that continues today. That was in the 70s. It's, it's, when it's, I was it's possibly on, worse today. We had a conversation with our youth about that, about the way that you know conduct behaviors. And you get in trouble in school, and all of a sudden that your the parents are encouraged to put these kids on drugs. And we had young young person talk about how those drugs were impacting them. And then you graduate from the drugs you have to take because your teacher wants you to take them and convince your parents, and you end up on street drugs. And a lot of instances, those are the gateway drugs. Yeah. But you know what does all this have to do with running for Congress? Mm-hmm. It's about a world view. Right. It's about mm-hmm. who are the individuals running. Who are they from the inside out? All of us have pretty decent uh, resumes, stumble through college, grad school, law school, <laughs> all that. Mr. I U mean, and we know how to speak. We know how to have the conversation, no matter what the subject matter is. But how many have the heart to fight for majority black Detroit and even in Gross Point fight for an infrastructure that tells Great Lake Water Authority to go to hell. You're going to compensate people for flooded basements. Yeah. Or you're not going to get another you penny. To, or you're <laughs> not going to get another penny in federal aid. Was I listening to what? You, you, we were just talking we about just that. Talking about we were just oh, talking oh, no, about I didn't. That. I, didn't I, no, I, I was just I was joking. It wasn't no, really we, on the radio yet. Oh. We, 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 got, we, we have to wrap it up. Number one, we want to thank you for coming on. Um, I'm not sure what happened we, here. What, 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 <laughs> no, what we hope is that, you know, on August 2nd, we will be having a live watch party where we would be broadcasting live over at Eastside Community Network where we held the forum and we hope okay. you'll stop by. Okay, maybe I will, but breast cancer treatment. Black women die 40% more mm. than white women from breast cancer. Absolutely. That's another tenet of the campaign, making sure we get dollars in to help prevent and treat breast cancer. Well, we I'm, die I'm, too much. We do, we do. Too and we often. need to close and the health care gap, and that's something that we are committed to. So the last thing I'm going to say is that our current 13th Congressional District candidate got us um, $1.8 million for our health hub. Uh, That's great. Hub. And we're hoping that if and when you, 
become the congressional representative for the 13th congressional get district, get you will continue to fund this work because. But, but we have to because you communicate. When I walked in here, I said, you guys are doing a great job of communicating. One of the big deficits we have in black America is the inability to control our own voice mm. and to communicate. But I appreciate it. It was great. And thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Thank you. You, you know, the, you said you don't know. We want people to know you so they can listen to and figure out what their perspectives are. You know, on a, lot, a lot of people do know me, but they don't know I'm the same Sam Riddle that started Let It Rip yeah. with Hugh Perkins, who retired. I uh, didn't. That, I'm that, running that for was, Congress. That was really there, wild. It was the, same, it was the, uh, <laughs> the same guy that was on 910 for the last three or four years that hangs up on people. I've treated you real nice. <laughs> I've treated you real we, nice. And we've been really <laughs> nice. We've been nice to and you. And we have been really nice to you. I'm over it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're very nice to you. I, nobody comes on here and says it's easy. We yeah. don't try to be no, easy. It's cool. No, you're not. I, I would be very disappointed if you did. Thank you. Oh, man. If you have topics that you want discussed on the podcast, hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. It's time for shout outs. Sam, Donna, you guys have shout outs. Anybody you want to shout out? I do. I want to shout out Gary Anderson and the Plowshares Theater yeah. for the. Um, the Hastings Street play. I was supposed to go yesterday, but um, I think I went out too much and I was having knee issues, so I just stayed home. I'll be there next weekend. I want to shout out Idrick Uday for um, for the the meal that she cooked at Frame. We talked about that mm-hmm. a little earlier. And then I also want to shout out Anita Baker because she did her thing in Detroit mm-hmm. on Saturday. My All girl. Right. I want to shout out Gary Brown, the water czar in Detroit. Keep the damn water on, Gary. That's it. <laughs> Thank you for listening so much. We'll see you next time. We want you to catch the wave. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay.